episode 74 with Hudson Taylor on the Nine Point Started with a Dream podcast. Welcome to Nine Point Started with a Dream podcast. Our goal is to showcase the stories of athletes and the community that supports them by being authentic about their journey. Here's your host, Jacoby Gillum. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. I'm your host, as always, Jacoby Gillum. This episode, we have Hudson Taylor of Athlete Ally and if this is your first time listening or you've been following us a little bit, we at Nine Point are big on athletes sharing their stories and their journey regardless of the popularity of their status. And Hudson embodies all of that. And this episode opened my eyes and inspired me more on equality and what that looks like, how to get involved, how can we all use our voice and our platform to, to make a change or start a conversation. And hope this episode inspired you to see how you can make a difference in a community that you that you that you're passionate about or want to help and get involved with. So Huston Journey is amazing. What he's doing athlete ally and, and what he's doing to start conversations, you know, within the world of athletics and within, you know, outside athletics. So hope you enjoy and let's get to it. So Huston, the question I ask everyone that comes on is when you're younger as an athlete, what's one of your biggest dreams the goals you want to achieve? Well, you know, so I, I started wrestling when I was six. Uh, pretty much pretty early on, it became my primary sport and I did other things. Um, I, I was unique in that. I think, um, I got really good at wrestling because I entered into like multiple age groups as a young kid. So on the one hand, I was getting beat up by all the older kids. And then slowly I started getting better and better at my age group. So I'd say like my early goals was just like, have fun, you know, like, uh, get better than I was, you know, kind of very, very simple, positive, uh, progressive, good goals. Um, and then at a certain point, you know, I definitely turned a corner and said, okay, no, this is not just something that I like to do, but something that I can be very good at. And that's when I think I started to like, try to up the bar for what I wanted to accomplish for myself. But, you know, I would say initially it was really, I was always just measuring myself against my teammates and the people that beat me. So, you know, any match that I lost, I'd always be hungry to say, okay, next year I'm going to find that guy, you know, and, uh, and I'm going to get the best of them the next time. Definitely. I love that. So, so, so what about wrestling made you gravitate toward it at like, at like a young age? You know, my, I think I was a young kid full of energy. Honestly, I think like a lot of athletes, I got into my sport because of my dad or my parents, you know. Um, you know, it's interesting, like when you're a young kid, like you, you participate in some sports almost before you you choose the sport, right? You, you just sort of like, hey, we're going to do t-ball we're gonna do soccer we're gonna like you know and, and and so wrestling was something that I did you know again just because I was like this crazy kid who had so much energy um and a wrestling practice was like the best way to get me tired and hopefully actually go to sleep um <laughs> but, but but then again like you know it's it's it was one of those things like I did not grow up in a wrestling community like a wrestling town it wasn't a popular sport. It wasn't a cool sport. So there wasn't a lot of like cultural capital that came with being a good wrestler. So it was an interesting experience for me because on the one hand, like once I started to have some success in my sport, I was not doing it for social status. I was, I was really doing it all the way back in third, fourth grade 
because I liked it and I wanted to get better at it, not because it made me any friends or, or you know, did me any favors. Um, and I grew up in a soccer town and, and as a result, like anybody who ever asked questions about wrestling, it was like, well, what is that leotard thing that you're wearing? You know, are you grabbing one another? <laughs> um, I think those, those same questions that a lot of wrestlers deal with uh, from an outside community that may not know a lot about the sport. So, so with that, and, you know, you, you kind of, you say you were in a soccer town and you were like really kind of in your own lane with this thing. So, so how did you go and kind of cultivate that? I want to achieve my version of greatness with this sport. So I would say in sixth grade was the first time that I really chose the sport. Um, I remember winning the uh, Topeka Nationals in Topeka, Kansas. And it was, uh, you know, like, I was a sixth grader. So it was, it, it was like the biggest deal in the world to me that I was a national champion at my age group at this tournament. Now, obviously it turns out there's like, like 20 national champ, you know, quote unquote national championships <laughs> when you're that young, but it felt like the most important thing in the world. And, you know, at that age, I was like, okay, this is something that I, that I can be great at. Um, and so sixth, seventh and eighth grade, I started to, um, I, I was living in, in North Jersey and, you know, training and competing with my local elementary youth program. But a couple miles from my house was this high school called Blair Academy. And for those of your listeners that don't know, Blair is the dynasty of wrestling. They are the most decorated athletic program, probably in any sport, right? So when I, when I was, uh, so Blair has won prep, had won prep nationals for like 30 straight years. Um, they're always in the top four or five in the country of public and private schools. And they're always graduating wrestlers that are going D1 and going on to be multiple time All-Americans and national champs. So starting in sixth grade, because I was only 12 miles away from the school, um, I got to go work out with the high school team and just get destroyed. <laughs> like, just got completely beat up. And, um, and it was the best thing in the world. You know, I, I, I think, uh, because I, as a young kid, I was always wrestling up an age group and taking a lot of losses. My relationship to my sport was not one that required me to be the best. It, I actually wanted to be, uh, the nail, right. I like in a room full of hammers because that's when I felt like I was having, I was gaining the most ground against kids, my own age. Um, and so, so sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, I got to work out at Blair Academy every day with some of the best wrestlers in the country. Um, and, and then actually went on to, to go to high school at Blair, uh, where I wrestled there for four years. So I would say that, that initial, you know, that big tournament win, you kind of, you know, you, you have your dreams are now coming true. That was when I was like, okay, this is, this is something that I, that I love and want to continue to pursue. Awesome what you said just now about how you wanted to be the nail, like in a room full of hammers, you know, because I think I think a lot of us I know can be scared of taking a loss, and mm. you were like, and you were like, I, I want the challenge of kind of I know a loss don't get me closer to my dream and closer to the goal. So that's awesome that you said that. Yeah, you know, I I um 
I consider myself like in wrestling, I was, a, I was always a, a student of my sport. And so you know, I was never the strongest, the fastest, the most athletic of the guys I was wrestling against, but I, I studied it. I, I like to learn new technique and practice new technique. And, you know, if, if our goal and in, in take the sport of wrestling, if my goal is to win a national championship, in my opinion, anything leading up until that national championship is just training for that ultimate challenge. And so, you know, I, I was always not happy, but always like, you know, I'm, I'm going to put myself on the line. I'm going to wrestle as many matches. I'm going to go against the toughest opponents, take losses that I, you know, could choose not to take because in wrestling, there's also a lot of sort of gamesmanship of, you know, sitting out specific dual meets. So you don't take a loss and you maintain your rank but, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I was hungry for those matches, hungry for the, that competition. And, and if I lost, it was the most valuable knowledge that I could have to better myself for that ultimate test. And, you know, I guarantee nobody remembers which dual meets I won or lost, but, you know, we're going to, the records that we all always talk about are, you know, come that time when you're either going to make the podium or not how did you fare? Um, and so that's where I just really concentrated all of my physical and emotional energy and try to just say, you know, Hey, look, when we, when we lose, we learn, uh, when we win, we, we celebrate and we continue. That's awesome. I think it kind of like a lot, a lot of youth athletes follow us. I think they really kind of learn a lot of value from just that mentality. So we got the Blair, you know, and you're, you're getting closer to, having the college doorstep was was Maryland always the school for you or you kind of just had your eyes open anywhere you know actually it wasn't um so I, I when I went to Blair I uh I was a three-time prep national champ and you know pretty high rank you know high blue chip recruit if you will um so I and I was getting recruited from a lot of different schools um, big 10, big 12 sort of dynasty wrestling programs. Maryland was not one of them at all. Um, but the thing that was unique about me is when I went to Blair, even my freshman year, even in middle school, like, because I came from that culture, uh, when I was a young kid of living in a soccer town, that didn't care about wrestling. I pursued hobbies and interests outside of my sport that were not considered cool. Right. And so when I was in middle school, I was in the ballet, I was in the choir. And so then when I got to Blair, um, I continued that, those, those hobbies and those interests, right? And so I was in the choir and I did plays and musicals all throughout Blair. And so when it came time for me to say, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm definitely good enough at my sport to wrestle division one and, and um, you know, hopefully like I'll get to wrestle at a place that I really enjoy. But, um, but I also really want to continue to pursue theater and the arts. Um, and so that was a really important factor of my choice of what school I wanted to go to. I didn't want to go to a school just to, you know, be another number in a list of wrestlers. Like I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to people to know that, yes, I want to win a national championship and accomplish as much as I can in my sport. But I'm also a person who has interests outside of this wrestling room. And it's important for me to pursue those interests wherever I go to college. Um, 
And so, you know, I, I was talking to a lot of different programs, but it became very clear to me pretty early on, like, hey, this is not a school that really values me outside of my sport, right? They really want me just to be a machine, <laughs> you know, to just like wrestle, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, in another life, maybe that would have been great and good, but that's not what I wanted for myself. And so the schools that I was looking at, it really came down. Initially, it was Northwestern. They have a great um, theater program, but I honestly goofed off too much in high school to have the grades to get in. Um, and I'm still like really regret that because I, I think even though I was so passionate about these different areas, I think at the same time I was taught this story that I wasn't good at, at school or that I didn't need to be, or that I didn't, shouldn't take school seriously. Cause you, so were, really, cause you, cause you were an athlete. They were like, you can just be the athlete and that'll work out for you. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Like you kind of assume like, Oh, I'm going to get recruited. So I'm going to get accepted somewhere. Mm -hmm. And so I don't need to do this homework assignment or study for this test. And, you know, I love Maryland. I'm proud Terp, but I also think that with what I was able to accomplish as a high school wrestler, if I had, the grades to go with that, I could have gone to um, some really prestigious academic institutions, which could have potentially opened more doors for me later in life, right? Um, so, you know, I couldn't get into Northwestern. So then I was looking at, I looked at Michigan a little bit, but their theater program was like a separate audition, and that kind of scared me. So really, it came down to Maryland and Wisconsin. Um, both I had a great relationship with both of those coaches they were really intentional about showing me their theater department and sort of their uh all of all of they had all that their schools had to offer there um I ended up choosing Maryland for a couple reasons it was you know one it was a the coach uh, Pat Santoro he really sold me on this idea that we could build something unique uh you know you can go to a lot of programs and you know, be a part of this, be a part of a dynasty. But if you come to Maryland, you can build that dynasty and you can be the first. Uh, and that was a really appealing message to me. Um, so that idea of building something coupled with actually feeling as though I could pursue theater and the arts um, made Maryland the place where I wanted to, to go to school. What kind of play were you in? Because I, I, I was like in theater a little bit in elementary school. I was in Annie. I was the apple oh, nice. you know, I, I wasn't big role. I was like small role, but I was like, hey, I was an Annie. <laughs> yeah, I was in. Uh, I was in Little Shop of Horrors. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. Um, Midnight, Midsummer Night's Dream. So not a not a musical. Um, and then a couple of smaller shows okay. on the Razzle and stuff like that. But uh, but I was, you know, it was it was definitely unusual because at my high school at the time. There was, there was a real divide between athletics and theater. And I think we still see that in a lot of different schools that the kids that are involved in sports are not always the same kids that are involved in theater, right? And that, and that there's these two sort of different parallel cultures. At least this was true at Blair. Mm -hmm. um, Were you ever scared that, 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 that your athlete friend would judge you for being in theater? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I remember my freshman year I was in, I was in a play and, you know, when I was a freshman, Blair had probably the, one of the best high school teams that ever existed. 
I was, I was junior varsity my freshman year, <laughs> which is funny because the guy, you know, the guy that was varsity ahead of me, he would go on to be, you know, a two-time NCAA national champ. Um, you know, and so we just had this lineup that was ridiculous of all of these amazing wrestlers. And so I was really intimidated by them. I really wanted their approval and wanted them to like me. Um, and I remember my, you know, being in the show and it was in a black box theater. And so, you know, the, the, the seats were the same level as the stage. And I remember all the seniors lining up in the first row of the theater when I first went out there and like, you know, my, my, like my makeup and my costume thing. And like, I was, it was so scary. It was so, so scary. But, um, but, you know, I, I think being an athlete is about putting yourself out there, about challenging yourself, exposing yourself to judgment, to, to failure. And, you know, after that, that first performance, yeah, I definitely heard jokes and stuff from my teammates. But at the same time, I think I gained their respect um, through how I competed, how I conducted myself. Um, so it was, you know, it wasn't all roses, but it ended up being a, a pretty positive experience. I know from, from seeing it like on the end too, like, 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 like in my school, how there was a, a divide sometimes on, on what people thought about athletes doing stuff outside of sports, even, even, even from coaches sometimes coaches like, yo, why are you, why are you doing that? Yeah. 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 I mean, that message was heard loud and clear. I was, you know, not it was not encouraged for me to be in the choir or in theater or in, you know, the acapella group on campus. Um, but, you know, as we've seen with, I think, professional athletes, the more athletic success you have, the more permission you are given to do other things. Mm -hmm. right? So as I started to win more matches and, you know, really assert my, my skills on the wrestling mat, it became a lot harder for coaches to tell me I couldn't or shouldn't do things outside of wrestling because, you know, for me, that balance of life outside of wrestling is what made me a better wrestler, right? Like when you're, when you're an athlete trying to accomplish your dreams, it can be all, all consuming. You know, you're spending 24 seven with your team, you know, you're traveling, you're training, you're running, you're lifting, and it can be really exhausting, even if you lo really love your sport. And so theater and, and all these other things were, were really important um, to my, like, health as an athlete, right? It made me actually happy and excited to show up to practice. So, yeah, I mean, definitely wasn't something <laughs> that... Uh, had I had massive support around, but luckily I was. Uh, You're winning. So I was you're... winning. I was winning exactly. So so in Maryland, what was it kind of like? A, was it like like a similar, similar like kind of mentality around your teammates? Were just like as long as you're winning, we're we're kind of more accepting of it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think uh, when I was when I when I went to Maryland again, it was a. Like, so Maryland was in the ACC, and prior to me getting to, to Maryland, we were consistently placing in the bottom of the field within the conference. So we weren't a national powerhouse. <laughs> we weren't even that great in our conference. We, um, you know, there weren't that many, like, five-star recruits coming to Maryland. And so it was really 
almost a blank slate, right? So when I came in, I was a part of a recruiting class that was 10th in the country. Um, so it was another group of guys that were really, you know, had the potential to do great things. Um, and it was really the beginning of, hey, like we're, we're serious about transforming this program into something that we can be really proud of. And so, yeah, I mean, I think I got, I think any, any teammate gets a little bit of, uh, gets made fun of or, you know, here's those comments. But at the same time, I think we were, we were all freshmen. And so like the only people who felt comfortable really like calling other people out were, were actually some of the freshmen <laughs> because those were actually the most decorated wrestlers coming into the program. And, you know, as members of the same class, trying to build the same thing in, in another, in in another way, we kind of all had each other's back. So they kind of uh, accepted me as a goofy, weird kid who liked, who was good at wrestling, but also liked other things. And uh, it kind of made it fun. So throughout this whole journey, you know, if you, you were, you, you were all about being Hudson, you know, yeah. you were about, I know the way athletes are branded, just a job, but I want to be more. Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think, um, I, I should say, I, I think I, I was doing those things, but not really fully understanding of what you just said, that how athletes are branded. Like, I don't think I fully understood that part of the, the structure of sport. Um, that actually became a lot clearer to me at Maryland because, you know, I was being encouraged to participate in like, quote unquote, like jock classes, you know, like the, the, the courses that I was being encouraged to take were not the most intellectually stimulating. They were like, Hey, you know, this is going to keep, they didn't say this, but it was like, Hey, this is going to keep you eligible, mm -hmm. like, <laughs> and keep you winning for the program. And like, everyone stays happy when meanwhile it was, you know, I was being encouraged some, I was being encouraged to take classes that were, that were going to give me an easy, you know, passing grade. Um, but not necessarily challenge me to be uh, a smarter, more like academic person, right? Um, and so, you know, what ended up happening for me was this interesting kind of a happy accident. So when, when I got, went to Maryland, I started as a theater major and a music minor in vocal performance. And I soon found out that as a Division One wrestler or, or athlete, it takes up way more time than I really fully understood. And so it became really clear to me pretty early on that I couldn't pursue theater or like be in any shows while being an athlete because the just the rehearsal time took up so much time that I could never really do both. Oh, wow. um, but I found out that at Maryland, they have this, they have this, uh, individual studies major where you can create your own major. And so I was like, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going to actually try to create my own major. So I ended up, you get to pick your own curriculum, your own classes, you go in front of a board of faculty and then you defend the classes that you picked and they either approve or reject your submission. Um, and then once they approve it, that's your major and you get to go from there. And so my major that I created uh, was interactive performance art. And it was a combination of art, theater, American studies, philosophy, 
um, a bunch of women's studies and queer theory classes. And it was kind of like, it was twofold. It was one, I wanted to still do stuff in the arts, but on my own time, right? I didn't want to have to be uh, like, you know, beholden to a rehearsal schedule. So I wanted to kind of make art on my own schedule. Um, but then two, I wanted it to have like a interactive social component. And so like a lot of those other non-art classes that I was choosing was about power and privilege and, um, and just like, and people and trying to understand more about myself and the people around me. And so it was really those initial classes that made me start to sort of unpack all of these things that I felt like I was taught through my sport as an athlete, all these things that I was like, wow, this is really not right. This is, un this is not cool. Like this is, this is less welcoming and affirming and accepting than it can or should be. And so as I was go taking class after class, really getting more educated about all of these systemic issues, I was simultaneously, simultaneously, you know, um, you know, my, my redshirt sophomore year, I placed third in the country. So I was simultaneously having all this unbelievable athletic success. And so that combination just really made me feel especially empowered to try to actually start doing something about these issues that I was learning about. And I, I, often, I, I really relate to this a lot because I think sometimes we get so boxed in as athletes and, 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 and I think you're kind of a really – Perfect, perfect example of someone who just broke broke outside the bubble and just said, you know, I'm not going to let you box me in when it comes to academics-wise, when it comes to, you know, my hobbies and whatnot. So so when you kind of got the, that you wanted to kind of use to have to kind of help different cultures, different 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 issues in the world, how did you land, land across the, the LGBTQ? Yeah, so... Um you know, I, I should say it wasn't a direct straight line. It, it first honestly started with uh, me being in Maryland near Washington, D.C. during initially during um, Obama, o Obama's sort of uh, election for, for the White House. And so I got really politically active. Um, my, my girlfriend and I, now wife, uh, were going, we would drive down to Virginia in the off season and go door to door campaigning. Um, so I just you know, I started to get more politically active, which I, I was just tremendously inspired and optimistic and just felt like a real, like I had the ability to, to change things if I just rolled up my sleeve, sleeves and went to work. Um, and then, you know, when it came to the LGBTQ and, and other issues, um, you know, it honestly, it all started with a, a sticker that changed my life. So, I was walking on campus one day and somebody came up to me with a clipboard and said, Hey, do you support equality? I said, yeah, yeah, I support equality. Um, and so, you know, I signed this little form and they gave me this equality sticker. And again, at the time um, you had prop eight proposition eight in California, which denied um, same sex couples the, the right to marry. And, you know, I, I, from all these classes that I was taking and, and everything that I was seeing about my wrestling culture and the language of my teammates, you know, every one of my teammates was using homophobic and sexist language on a daily basis. 
you know, and at times myself included, because that's how we were taught to speak. It's how we were taught to make fun of one another. And, you know, I, when Prop 8 happened and Obama was campaigning and all this was coming together, I kind of took this step back and said, okay, if I was alive during the civil rights fight and Martin Luther King Jr. had been marching on Washington, I would like to think that I would have marched and fought alongside him and millions of other people. And at this moment in time, I, I am seeing that the LGBTQ community lacks a lot of rights and protections and respect. And that 50 years from now, I'm gonna look back at this moment and my kids and grandkids are gonna ask me, well, you know, what did you do? Did you fight? Did you not do anything? Did you stay silent? And I wanna be able to look at them and say, you know what, no, I did my part. I did my best to try to make my team and my community a more welcoming one. Um, and so I took that sticker and at the time it was pretty early in the season. I was, uh, I was ranked number two in the country at 197 pounds, you know, training to win the national title. And I decided to wear that LGBTQ equality sticker on my headgear to show support. And I didn't think much of it. I just thought it kind of looked cool. <laughs> you know, I, I, I didn't have a bumper sticker to put it on. So I thought my headgear was the next best thing. Um, but that sticker, did a couple things. It, it first started a lot of conversations with my teammates, a lot of difficult conversations. Like, why are you wearing that? Mm -hmm. What does that mean? Are you gay? Um, and why do you care? Right. All of those difficult, interesting conversations. And then one day, one of my coaches pulled me aside who had been watching me have all these, all these fights and arguments. And he said, you know, Hudson, would you do an interview about why you are an ally about why you care? I said, sure, of course, no problem. I'd be happy to. And um, I didn't know it at the time, but that coach of mine was actually closeted. He was gay and, and was hearing me have these debates, not feeling comfortable saying something himself. But then when I did that interview, um, one of the things that's still so important to me in all this work is that, you know, progress doesn't occur unless we have difficult dialogue. Like we have to talk to one another more about the things we agree on and the things we disagree on. And, and I wanted more people, I wanted to talk to more people about why they felt what they felt, whether for whatever reason. Right. And so when I did that interview, I asked them to share my email address uh, with the article. It wasn't really <laughs> ready for the response. Um, two days after that article posted, I opened up my inbox and I had over 2,000 emails wow. from LGBTQ athletes from across the country who wrote to me and said, you know, Hudson, I just read this article and I'm going to try out for my wrestling team. I'm going to go into the locker room and not be afraid. I'm going to start standing up and speaking out as an ally in support of my gay brothers, my lesbian sisters, my transgender friends. And I was bawling reading a lot of these emails because my sport, it has been my entire life. It has made me the person that I am. It has is, it is made me my every friend. It opened every door for me. You know, I was able to wrestle in college on a scholarship because of wrestling. You know, like all of these incredible, amazing experiences and opportunities I have been afforded because of wrestling. And what these emails showed me is that there is an entire population of people that is being excluded from having that same experience and it's they're being excluded by choice 
by choice from everybody who said who chooses not to address the issue, not to talk about it, not to get educated. Um, and that's a tragedy. You know, that's a tragedy that's playing out every single day in our middle schools and our high schools on our college campuses. And so what that sticker and those emails showed me is that, wow, like if I could get 2000 emails as a wrestler in not the most popular sport, imagine if I had done the same exact action, but had been a football player or a team or a league. And so that was sort of the genesis of Athlete Ally, this idea that, you know, there's never been a successful social justice movement for minority group without the support of the majority, that if we're serious about trying to end any kind of discrimination, it shouldn't just be the responsibility of, of those folks who are impacted by discrimination who are trying to, to work to end it, right? I, I think it's, it's everyone's responsibility to try to, you know, change our cultures, change our communities for the better. Um, and so that sort of put me on this path of saying, okay, I'm going to now devote my time to trying to educate and activate more athletes to taking a similar stance, to speaking out in whatever way they feel they can. Because I, I really do believe that if and when more allies stand up and speak out, those, those obstacles and barriers for LGBTQ athletes, for people of color, for women and girls, for people with disabilities. Um, I think if we have a, a greater culture of allyship, a lot of those forms of oppression and discrimination will, will go away or at least be reduced. Man, so I spent the last eight years trying to do that. That's powerful. Because, because I remember like, like for me in junior high, I remember we had a, we had a kid on, the, on, the, on, our, on, our, on our team come out gay. I remember, I remember how many kids, like, you know, boys, you know, junior high, seventh graders, they just shunned them out because yeah. they were like, they judged them. They think that, you know, he wanted them. And I was like, and then like, I remember, I remember I was in, I was quiet and I'm like, man, that's messed up in my head, but I didn't say anything, you know? Yeah. And, and it's scary. You know, when you're on a team, like this is part of, this is like one of the the barriers that we're trying to overcome is that, you know, right now, it's the most comfortable, safe thing to do is to stay silent or is to laugh at that homophobic joke, right? And so if you're an athlete on a team, you're trying to be liked, you're trying to be accepted, um, it's easier to do nothing. And we have to change that. We have to create cultures in which, you know, if you're, if you're an athlete, you're a leader. And by being a leader, that means you stand up and support everyone on your team, regardless of how they identify. Uh that's awesome because I know that there are probably so many kids out there that are probably struggling right now just trying to fit in, you know, because right now it's so hard nowadays with everything, social media, everything like that, trying to try to, try to fit into a community and you yeah. feel that the, the sport you love won't accept you. Yeah. It's a shame. I mean, so so just to put some statistics on this, so um, only 24% of LGBTQ youth play sports. Um, those that do drop out of sports at twice the rate of their heterosexual counterparts. So, you know, when, when a heterosexual kid would stop playing sports, um, an LGBTQ kid has done that already, you know, years prior. Um, 80% of LGBTQ athletes are not out to their coaches, right? So this is another big issue is that our coaches are not creating safe and welcoming spaces for the full diversity of their, their athletes. Um, so there's a lot of sort of entrenched, challenges that we're trying to overcome but again i've spent the last eight years now trying to work work to change that 
So, so when you say like, like work, like work to change it and kind of takes all of us coming together. Yeah. So what does that look like? Great question. So at Athlete Ally, um, you know, obviously our mission is to end homophobia and transphobia in sports and to activate more members of the athletic community to champion LGBTQ equality. And we're trying to do that in three very specific ways. So challenge goal number one is education. So if you are involved in sports or if you are in a position of power in sports, a coach, an athletic director, you should be educated on the issues impacting your players. And that includes your LGBTQ players. So one of the things we work really long and hard on is trying to get more coaches, athletes, and educators trained on LGBTQ respect and inclusion. So I visit upwards of 50 colleges a year. Um, I work with every incoming NBA player for the past five years. Um, We just launched an online curriculum called Champions of Inclusion, which is free for anybody who wants to take it. Um, But really our goal in this work is saying, okay, there's a community of people that is, that is having a less than positive experience in sport. We can change that if we get better educated about how we're making their experience a negative one. So we at Athlete Ally are trying to be the organization that helps hopefully provide some of those tools and resources to get better educated on LGBTQ issues. Um, the second pillar, the second piece of our work is looking at the policies that govern sports. So in the same way in society that we want to see rights and protections for all of our citizens, we want to see those same rights and protections for all of our athletes. And a lot of times the cultures of sport are formed around the policies of sport. So one of the things that Athlete Ally works really hard on is trying to get athletic institutions to adopt better non-discrimination policies, uh, fan codes of conduct, making sure that we're, we're being really clear that homophobic and sexist and racist language is not acceptable for our fans, um, making sure that we're creating policies for transgender athletes to compete. Um, so there's a whole range of sport policies that we want to see put in place to reflect, again, those kids who are, who are already playing sports or trying to access sport. Um, And then the third pillar of the work is around athlete activism. So we want to try to create a world in which athlete activism is accepted and expected. So I think, you know, when I look at why, why we don't have more out athletes or why LGBTQ athletes don't play sports or drop out of sports early, I think that it's actually connected to someone like Colin Kaepernick not being on a team right now. Um, I think there's a culture that says stick to sports, shut up and dribble. Don't be a distraction. You know, there's this culture that kind of tries to mold an athlete into being fairly one dimensional in the box, in a box. Right. And every time somebody steps outside of that box, they're punished. They're either taught to be punished by their teammates. They're punished by their coaches, by the athletic director, by fan, by fan bases, And, you know, I think we need to be creating a world in which we are encouraging athletes to to step outside of that box, right? We're encouraging athletes to be their authentic selves and to follow their passions and be outspoken and be an individual. Um, That's, I think, unless and until that happens, we're going to still see this reaction when an athlete comes out that it's, that it's somehow different or other. 
Um, so at, at Athlete Outlet, we now have over 250 Olympic, Paralympic professional athletes who are ambassadors of the organization. We have 20 chapters on college campuses um, and are really just trying to help more athletes speak out however they feel comfortable doing so. And sometimes it's on LGBTQ issues. Sometimes it's on completely different issues. Um, you know, we worked really hard to overturn the hijab ban in international basketball. So Muslim women and Sikh men couldn't wear headscarves or, or headwear um, while playing basketball. You know, like there are all these ways in which we're trying to, you know, create policy uniformity to be really inclusive, try to help encourage athletes to speak out um, and, and again, raise that level of education so that everybody who accesses sport has equal access, opportunity and experience. Love it. Because like the 09 point in is like, you know, we're all imperfect athletes, you know, and, and, and the world wants to make us like these invincible, perfect, you know, role models. And, mm. and so many athletes are out there, they're just hurting and not healed because they're not themselves because we're scared of what that kid may think or that parent may think of where it become our authentic self. Yeah. Well, I, I I would say that differently. The way that I would think about it is in every single industry, there is an archetype of what it means to be successful in that industry, right? If I were to say, okay, you want to be a firefighter, let's paint the picture of what the ideal firefighter looks like. How do they conduct themselves? You know, what do they do when they're off duty, right? There's, you create this archetype of success and in sport, that archetype is taught to us consistently and pretty early on. And I think, unfortunately, that archetype, to your point, is, you know, doesn't show emotion, doesn't ask for help in some really troubling ways. Um, You know, to the stuff that I was talking about, it doesn't, you know, is not politically, socially active, um, you know, isn't, is very one-dimensional. And and I think that we, we have an opportunity and I think a responsibility to try to make the case that the archetype of what it means to be a successful athlete is somebody who's not afraid to ask for help, who's not afraid to speak their mind, who is not afraid to, you know, lend a helping hand to that, to that teammate or to that person who's being put down. Um, That's, I think the athlete that I hope we all try to emulate and, you know, as a, as somebody who cares deeply about the culture and sort of function of sport, um, I hope that, that we're able to, to create more athletes who are their authentic selves, who can stand up and speak out for the things they believe in. Be, become allies. So two more become questions. Allies. Yeah, exactly. So when it comes to, so say someone listening right now and they want to become an ally, they want to get involved. How can they get involved with, with you all? Yeah, so I mean, you can start by checking us out on athleteally.org uh, or follow us on any of the different social media channels. Um, I, I would also say, you know, we, we have a lot of kids who are starting Athlete Ally chapters at their school. Um, this is a great way of keeping, having a consistent conversation about these issues. Um, you know, I, what, what else would I say? I would say like, look, I want every single one of your listeners to get involved with Athlete Ally. That would be amazing and so much fun. But I also know that not everybody's going to be equally passionate, and that's okay. So my challenge is to is for everybody to do something, even if it's a small, simple step, right? So if you don't feel like you're completely educated on LGBTQ issues, 
commit to getting better educated in a particular way, right? So I mentioned our curriculum. It's free if you want to check it out, Champions of Inclusion. Um, if, you know, maybe if, if you're a little bit more comfortable, I would challenge you to start a conversation with a couple of your friends about LGBTQ issues in sport. Talk to them about, hey, why is it that we use language like that so gay so, so frequently? You know, how do you think that that makes our, uh, a gay teammate feel? Um, kind of ask those interrogating questions because I think those, those are the moments when we actually start to create a culture of respect and, and accountability for one another. Um, and then the last thing I would say is um, outside of LGBTQ issues, um, pick one topic that you know nothing about, whether it's that impact a community of people and, and commit to getting better educated about that. I think uh, we're only as effective as we are knowledgeable on the issues impacting our peers. Um, and it takes a little bit of discipline and you know we have to be really intentional about it. But I think when we invest in our own self-education, when we try to listen to the experiences of our peers and the people around us, um, we very quickly have the tools to make our sports spaces as welcoming as we know they can and should be. Man, you're, you're killing the game. Huh? <laughs> you're like, it, it like, I don't know, just, just seeing how you, you started with just the dream of, you know, being the wrestler, just saying, I'm a wrestler that's more than this day. I want to use my platform to make an impact on other athletes so they can kind of enjoy their sport as well is, dude, that, that, that's inspiring, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. Well, I'm honored to be able to do this work and, uh, you know, glad to be able to talk to you about it. Yo, thanks for listening to this episode of the Nine Point Started With A Dream podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please comment, share, leave a review. We would love to hear your thoughts. You can find more athlete-driven content at ninepoint.com. Till the next episode, you're only one opportunity away. Peace.